the very first episode of Squad Arma. Today, on today's episode of Squad Arma, we'll be talking about karma. Um, we'll begin, of course, with the little boy George and Karma Chameleon, uh, followed by our SFU segment. Then we'll listen to a little John Lennon before our main discussion on karma and justice. Turning to a lighter note, we'll listen to a little Earth Gang and a word from our sponsors. By the way, as always, Squad Dharma is proudly sponsored by Abby's Blue Hole Brewing. Abby's Blue Hole Brewing. Then we'll close out with our WTF segment and our homegrown segments and end off with a little Willie Nelson and Earl Hacker. Thank you for joining us today on this very first episode of Squad Arma. I'm Brad. I'm Rachel. I'm Eric. And we're, and we're sniffing, sniffing the fumes at Delphi. So, welcome. It's so nice to have uh, Eric joining us today um, for our first episode of Squad Arm Podcast. Already off to a little technical mistake there. Um, you know, one take Drake, right? Um, <laughs> That's right. So, one of the things I thought for our SFU segment, um, all three of us today at some point on separate occasions made... Um, journeys to the grocery store and normally you know talking about the grocery store going to the grocery store you know it's just you don't even talk about that what would be there to be to say but now it's quite an ordeal and an event and it's like Mm -hmm. you got to plan for it and you got to recover from it and Mm -hmm. what's your experience of going to the grocery store Oof. I mean, normally when I pop up in the grocery store, you know, I got my headphones on, I'm listening to a little music, I'm doing a little dance in my shopping cart, I take my time, you know, say hello. But, you know, first of all, you go in and there's a giant line, and everyone's wearing like masks and gloves, and there's a security guard. At two of the, I went to Walmart and a grocery store, at Market Basket, there was a cop, like an actual cop, like strolling people in. So I was like, oh, shit, this looks like TSA. Uh, so once you get past TSA security checkpoint, you get your cart, you're wiping the cart down and everyone's just like, no one's looking at each other. If you bump into someone, like you get the eyes of like Hades. It's just, there's this level of tension and anxiety that's kind of spreading throughout. And, you know, people try their best to make it calm. Um, you know, you try to say hi. Uh, I tried to smile at a lot of people, but then forgot that I was wearing a mask. So no one saw what the hell I was smiling at. Um, and, you know, trying to keep that distance and it's just, it's intense. It's this tension getting groceries for me has always been therapeutic like that's a nice part of the day you get your groceries you you know you're relaxing i never wanted to get the hell out of there so fast in my life i saw a lot of older people coming in like grabbing a bunch of bottles of wine uh, and this one lady told me that she was just like this is my dinner for the night i think people are just so stressed um which is kind of sad to see you know it's such a basic activity being transformed into this very tension-filled act that's like the opposite for me um in regards to you said that going to the grocery store has always been therapeutic for you um I hated going grocery shopping to begin with and so now it has become exponentially more stressful for me um I don't know like I don't know how this whole COVID-19 has has affected you um and like what degree of precaution you're taking but like I 
you know, park in the parking lot. I got to like get my gloves on, make sure they're covering the ends of my sleeves and everything. And then, you know, making sure to wipe everything down. And then, you know, once I leave the grocery store and then get home, I'm at the point of like anxiety where I bring the bags of groceries in the house and I literally wipe down every individual item before I put it in the mm -hmm. cabinets because I am that freaked out by it. And also have someone in the household who is severely asthmatic. So um, trying to take extra precautions, but that's honestly more a scapegoat for my own paranoia about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went good. to the I went to the store today and I wore I kept the gloves on the whole time. Also my hands were cold, but I just kept the gloves on the whole time I was in there like I norm, you know, maybe normally would. Um but then I went and I, you know, paid with my credit card. Um and when I pulled my wallet out, I took my glove off and then I, you know, like used the pen pad and stuff without my glove on. I was like, shit, you know, I just <laughs> yeah, I just um, you know, you just do things automatically, but yeah, I've, I've been wiping down my wallet, my credit card, my keys, my phone, like everything. <laughs> no, shit is fucked up. It is. And then, and then, like you said, having trying to recover from grocery shopping. So, like, it's normally an event that I'm like, okay, I don't really want to be doing this, but all right, I feel accomplished. And now it's like after wiping everything down, washing my hands for like the 80th time to mentally de-stress it just takes up so much time now <laughs> it just also makes you feel like every action is gonna lead to this like world ending like spreading corona like as soon as someone touches you you just like give them a look like holy shit like what just happened and like if you take off your gloves and you use the pen pad you're like i definitely just caught it like there's just such a right. Right, right. our cause and effect has just exploded because of this yeah yeah Hopefully, I don't have to go grocery shopping for like another two weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, fortunately, the the beer store was uh, had a, a sale on one of my favorites, so stocked up. Um, yeah, I also had this interesting conversation with this um, this stranger. Um, yeah, he, I was there in my jeep. He was there in his jeep, and his jeep was oh, it was covered in mud, and I was it was beautiful, and so I just had to like talk to him and you know there's my jeep not covered in any mud at all and um so i you know was trying to talk to him about off-roading and four-wheel and that kind of stuff and um but the whole time you know like we were having this really friendly conversation but we kept really far apart so it was it was just weird it was like awkward you know because we both acknowledged that we didn't want to get near each other but we were enjoying the conversation so mm. you know shit's fucked up mm -hmm. preach all right, so I'll listen to a little uh, John Lennon next. Um, and uh, so this is John Lennon singing Instant Karma, We All Shine On. And there's an interesting video. If you haven't gotten a chance to see the video, um, I don't know exactly what's going on, but Yoko Ono is sitting there blindfolded um, in what, honestly, to me, maybe I'm wrong, but it looks to me kind of like a a maxi pad or something over her eyes and she's um she's knitting so she's just sitting on stage blindfolded knitting during the video which i don't uh if any of our listeners know what the hell that's about um uh yeah i'm interested anyway here's a little john lennon this is calm it's gonna get you 
playing till that last verse because it just seems to fit in with so many themes and topics that we talk about so often and um well that i talk about often wherever i am um and uh by the way we should rage um uh eric we should have you um say how we know each other how you how are you uh how you come to be here who are you who the hell are you yeah man that's a good question you're asking some deep stuff right now i can't answer the full I don't even know who I am, but in terms of how we met, uh, so I was a student over at Boston College my junior year, and I decided to take this class called The Religious Quest, and honestly, I liked it just because it sounded like a journey. It sounded like a fun little class, like, what the hell's a religious quest? Um, and it was taught by this guy named Brad Bannon, and I was like, all right, let's sit down, and first day, he had this whole dumbass story about a cup, and I was like, ah, shit, but I decided to stick with it, and then... That led to another class where he brought Maker's Mark into class and oh. took a sip. <laughs> it was real Maker's Mark. And then that led to some, you know, talks about Christianity and Hinduism and just exploring this whole new faith and, and philosophy that I'd never been exposed to. And the rest is history. We're boys now. We go way, way back in the day. <laughs> word, word. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's... Uh... You know, I didn't know if I was gonna that I was gonna offer everybody Maker's Mark at that particular moment. I just happened to have it in my bag, and I was like, you know, we were talking about John chapter four and Jesus share, you know, asking a Samaritan woman to share the cup, and um, so I was like, you know, we'll try to get the spirit in this place, and uh, so I poured a little spirit, and anybody who wanted to share could share. That's cool. I thought it was iced tea or Kool-Aid and then I took a sip and my throat was burning and I was like, oh, he is, he's, he's the real deal. All right, oh, I you like thought him. I was fooling? Let's make, let's make <laughs> yeah, we all thought you were fooling. We all really? thought you were fooling. No, 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 I don't lie. I don't lie. Uh, 
I was not there for that talk, <laughs> but I remember seeing that on your Snapchat story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Did everyone take a drink? Like, were you just doing shots to Maker's Mark? <laughs> no, it was just a couple kids. He was just like, he asked. Oh, no, I lost it. Hold on. Who wait. wants to try it? Oh, crap. Like, can we actually do it? Um, but I don't. You oh, cut out for a second. Back? Yeah, you're back. Oh, jeez. All right. Got yeah, so I just, like, you know, a teacher was like, you want some? And we we're all just, like, no one really knew whether we were to get it or not, like, if you were being serious. <laughs> so, uh, but but me, I was like, I don't care. It was, like, the last class of the day. I was like, sure, why not? And it was it was real. And I'm like, huh. All right. <laughs> this is before I actually drank, too. Like, I don't... <laughs> So oh, no, don't like, say that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's fine. I was 21. We're good. We keep it respectful. We're, we're respecting rules out here. Well, now I'm an alcoholic living on the street with all the <laughs> damn Dr. Bannon. <laughs> it's all good. I wouldn't have been here without it. So <laughs> so, um, so today, yeah, as the title and the first two song choices point out, we're talking about karma. And um, karma is one of those words it's a excuse me um it's hard to talk about karma in classes because the first thing i have to do is like um uneducate everybody <laughs> you know i'm trying to like de um trying to like yeah explain that the the you know the white folk the, the american westernized interpretation of karma um and the pop culture m um appropriation of karma has been misappropriated um, so I think sometime we should have an episode where we talk about appropriation and misappropriation because I think like cultural appropriation in general can be a really good thing. You know, I mean, we need to embrace one another's culture and, and you know, um, infuse ourselves in the diversity of cultures. But we also need to do so responsibly, right? Mm. Um, and we can't do it in a way that misappropriates or that takes uh, other people's um, you know, cultures and, and makes it our own. And so karma is one of those words that we've done that too. So I think there's an ethical um, importance in just sort of at least trying to understand this term um, in the way that the Hindu scriptures and the Hindu, um, you know, acharyas over the years have, um, have explained it um, and understand the complexities of this word karma. Karma at the, um, at the most basic level just means action. Um, and so uh, karma means action. Oftentimes you'll see it translated as work. Um, I think uh, Krishnawarya translates it as work in his, uh, his translation of Shankar's Bhashya. Um, and then a lot of other translations just use the word action. Um, it also kind of refers to the Vedic uh, rituals and the Brahminic um, yagnas. But um, here I have this... Um, this um, passage by Harold Coward from his uh, text, The Perfectibility of Human Nature in Eastern and Western Thought, which is an excellent book, uh, which I use in my, yeah, which Rachel has read um, most of because I use it in, or used to use it in my um, Philosophy of Human Person class. Um, class and, has changed uh, so much. Huh? Class has changed so much. It has changed a lot, yeah. And part of it was that I don't want, I don't like assigning too much of one book because it raises copyright issues and I want to make sure that all the information is accessible to people regardless of their ability to purchase books. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, you know, I think that in the interest of knowledge and learning and wisdom and especially um, things like this, it would be good if we kind of adjusted some of those copyright laws or got rid of them. Um, <laughs> but in any event, 
what so let's start before i read this um so let's just uh what do we think the um our culture like when you use the word karma um you know on twitter or, or on facebook or when you see it you used how do most people in our society what do they think about when they hear that word uh eric you want to go first you want me to go first uh you can take it away all right i'll roll off, I'll roll off for you all right um I feel like, like, when I think of, like, Western, Western karma, um, it's just, like, what goes around comes around, sort of, so there's, like, good karma and bad karma, if you do something good to somebody, like, it will pay off, which is problematic, because then people end up only doing good things with, for the promise of reward, and then there's bad karma, um, so, like, if you, if you wrong somebody or do something wrong, like that's going to come back to bite you in the future or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think the the two biggest things that we kind of misconstrue is one, we, we make karma to Rachel's point some of this, like this additive thing, something that you can subtract or add um, based on what you do. Um, and secondly, it always is kind of spoken of as if it's this external force. Um, and I think the problem with that is that it takes away a lot of our accountability, you know, like, we, we say, oh, I'm doing good things, so then this external force is going to do good, good stuff for me. Um, and you lose a lot of that agency and a lot of that responsibility in what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of truth in that, right? So there's a lot of truth in the way that it's been misconstrued, but then there's a lot of untruth in the way it's mis been misconstrued, too. And um, so, yeah, this... Um, it's a long passage I'm going to read, um, it's, but it's still not even a whole paragraph. But this comes from Harold Cowart, um, who's an outstanding scholar, um, an outstanding philosopher um, of um, Hindu, and well, he's just an outstanding philosopher, period. Um, anyway, he says, every, so he um, he's, says, one of the clearest descriptions of karma is found in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. This concept is widely influential and has had the added advantage of making room for free will. It runs as follows. So here's basically his explanation of karma um, as it's explained in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Every time you do an action or think a thought, a memory trace or karmic seed is laid down in the storehouse of your unconscious. There it sits waiting for circumstances conducive to its sprouting forth as an impulse, instinct, or predisposition to do the same action or think about the same thought again. Notice the karmic impulse from the unconscious does not cause anything. It is not mechanistic in nature. Rather, it simply predisposes you to do an action or to think a thought. Room is left for the function of free will. Through the use of your free will, you decide either to go along with the karmic impulse, in which case it is reinforced and strengthened, or to say no and negate it in which case its strength diminishes until it is finally removed from the unconscious. Karmas can either be good or bad. Karma, good actions and thoughts lay down the good karmic traces in the unconscious for the predispo predisposing of future good karmic impulses. Evil actions and evil thoughts do the reverse. Um, and then scripture and tradition is taken to distinguish what is good from what is bad. Um, and then, so he goes on to talk about um, chanting mantras. 
um, and that mantra chanting can be seen as a powerful psychological tool for purifying and transforming the consciousness. In other words, by repeating the same thoughts over and over in your head or over and over, you know, through chanting and things, then those sort of things get deeply laid into your psyche. They become a part of your thinking. And then so when you get up and finish meditating and you go out and to make ethical decisions in the world, then those, you know, those truths, those central um, ethical principles are going to be deeply ingrained. So, um, but the action itself can be an action that you take in the world. It can be an action um, that you do mentally, right? Thinking processes and ways of thinking. Um, so anyway, I really like um, Coward's the discussion of karma. And so what he's calling karmic trace uh, in Sanskrit would be um, samskara. So um, they kind of go together. But um, yeah, what do you all think of that passage or that thought, those thoughts? I'm talking a lot. Uh, well, when you were talking about, um, why am I blanking? <laughs> when you were talking about how, like when you do like a, a particular thought or action, how it lays that seed and then it can be, um, like it, it becomes reinforced. And so you just said, uh, like when you, when you go and meditate on certain truths you're kind of like ingraining those truths into you and it influences how you act when you go out into the world it kind of makes me think of cbt so that's cognitive behavioral therapy um in psychology so it, like the whole foundation of cbt is how there's a interrelationship between our behavior our thoughts and our emotions and so, you know, how we behave influences the way that we think, but also the way that we think influences our behaviors and is also tied into our emotions and things like that. Um, and so one of the things that uh, clinicians try to get at in CBT is kind of, you know, starting at the thought. And if we can, you know, change those, if you can change the, the thoughts, it will in turn help you change your behavior, but also if you can, it like works in the reverse as well. So if you can modify behavior, it can also help you change your thought processes. I don't know. That's what it made me think of. <laughs> yeah. I think this idea of like nurturing your spirit or your flow, or your, nurturing your virtue um, is, is interesting to me. And that's something that I usually think about when we think about karma, this idea of, it's not just a matter of you act, you act, you act, you act. It's you want to act so that you create a habit of making good act, actions um, so that it seems less, I don't want to say it seems less intentional because I think there is still intention behind it, but it's just you do it because it's what you know or what your body by, its, by the way you've made it habitual wants to do. Yeah, I think uh, I understand what you're saying. And so like, you know, when you do, you know, it's like in sports, right? I mean, when you keep doing, like if you're in baseball, you know, I mean, you got to practice your swing over and over again. And eventually your swing just, your, you know, your body just kind of does it without thinking, right? That's the whole point is to like outsource the thinking so that your body does things automatically. And I think there's just, uh, you know, especially as I get older, I just realize and look at people who are older um, just so many decisions, um, you know, it seems like they made these decisions and then long ago, and they've just been kind of stuck in this the pattern of repeat without reflection or without contemplation. And that's exactly what karma is, right? I mean, when you keep doing the same action, 
um, then it gets deep, more deeply and more deeply ingrained. Um, and that's the that's true of your body, whether you're playing baseball and trying to hit a, you know, a 90 mile hour pitch, your body just has to do that work. But it's also true of your mind and different ways of thinking about the world and different ways of thinking about ourselves. And we just get stuck, um, you know, in this, these patterns of thought and patterns of action where it's not even that we're making bad decisions is that we just are no longer making decisions. Right. And Eric, I like how you said, um, you use the word nurturing. Um, but I, how, like in Howard's definition of what karma means, he talks about those karmic seeds. And when you use the word nurturing, it makes me think of, you know, you water certain seeds. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there, you know, I think he says you can choose to like when they come up again, you can choose to acknowledge them or you can choose to negate them. So, you know, if you don't water a plant, it will die eventually. Um, or it makes me think of um, how like native Americans say, you know, everyone has two wolves inside of them, but it's just whichever, you know, it's whichever one you feed is the one that's going to be more dominant. So <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love this connection that's going around, and uh, um, yeah, the nurturing of the seeds and things. I was talking to my sister. Um, my sister does just really great work, and I'm very proud of her uh, and the work that she does um, in terms of food justice and um, ecological um, ecological justice, and just working and, and serving her community um, in an amazing way. Um, and so I had her in my social justice class, and we were talking about it, and I said, you know. Um, I just, my whole thinking about teaching is that my concern, especially at this time of the semester, is all about the lost sheep, you know, those students in the class that are just like not getting it and just not connecting and not making an effort. And they think that they're fooling everyone, but they're only fooling themselves, you know. And um, so how to get, how to, you know, um, get in touch with those. And so... Um, I was kind of, you know, just talking about my sister, talking with my sister the other day, um, and she said, um, it's just a beautiful, um, a beautiful mantra. Um, she said, don't, um, you know, don't judge your day or don't judge your performance in the day. She said it so well, I don't remember exactly, but don't judge your day by the harvest, but judge your day by how many seeds you plant. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that, that felt good, you know, it was like, all right, well, I'm planting seeds and then hopefully, you know, um, it's nice when I get to nourish those seeds and see them grow and seeing them develop. But, um, sometimes you have to settle for just planting. That actually has a lot of implication for my job. Um, so I, like in my job, I'm working with uh, kids who are, I, I'm a case manager for kids who are in foster care. Um, and so these kids often have, you know, a really rough, you know, background and history and stuff. Um, and sometimes it's frustrating, honestly, and difficult in sessions um, when you're trying to, you know, you're trying to engage with them and connect with them. Um, and they just, they don't want anything to do with you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to see you. They don't want you to be there. Like, and it, like, it's understandable, you know, like if you, if you looked at their history, you know, it would make sense. Um, so I can, I can get frustrated by that at times, but just thinking about like knowing that 
I'm planting those seeds and you may not always be able to immediately reap the fruits, which the Gita would tell us to not even worry about the fruits anyways, because it affects how we act. But um, no, that's just something nice to hear. I can definitely take that into my own work. Speaking of the Gita, (laughs) nice. That maybe gives a segue into um, a little bit of discussion of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, And so we have probably more, um, more to talk about than we really have time to talk about. But let's start with... Um, Isn't it always like that? Yeah. Um, so let's start with this uh, verse. So uh, Rachel is currently in the process of reading um, Shankara's Bhashya, Shankara's commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, um, and, uh, which is, you know, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, it's very, very difficult text. It's a difficult text for all of us. Um, I thought I had it in the beginning, but I was mistaken. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Yeah. um, Well, maybe you did. I mean, I think you understand so much of what Shankar is trying to say, but there's also, there's a lot of discussion of, um, you know, rituals and a lot of language and and things that are so deeply embedded in the scriptures that unless you know the scriptures um, inside and out, it's hard to even make, to understand what he's trying to say. Um, Help of commentators and things. I'm a fake fan because I have not read the, the Upanishads, so <laughs> I haven't um, read them in full anyways. Well, yeah, nor have I. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's, so this is, um, this is from the Bhagavad Gita, um, and so Shankar is commenting on this verse that caught your attention, um, or you were caught by his commentary, but his, um, mm-hmm. so the verse is from chapter four, and it's verse 18, um, and uh uh, I thought we would begin by just listening to the Sanskrit. Um, so there's a recording um, online of, uh, of you know, each verse and the breakdown. Um, so this is a, um, from holybhagavadgita.org, um, and w- in- which includes a commentary by Swami Mukundananda. Mukundananda. Joy in the Mukund, which I think means moon. But... Um, and no. just so just so the listeners know, the um, the title of this chapter is uh, is it Yana? Am I saying that right? Yana. Yana Yoga. That's the um, the chapter that it's from. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so we'll listen to the uh, the Sanskrit um, and notice uh, if you even if you're not you know even if you don't know Sanskrit, um, just listen for the word karma, because you hear the word karma over and over again. The word karma in various forms shows up just in the first half of the verse, one, two, um, three, four times, and then again once in the second line. Um, so five times the word karma comes up, but just here's the, here's the clip. Karmanya karma yapashyed. Akarmani Chakarmaya Sabudhiman Manusheshu Sayokta Krishna Karma Okay, so um so this particular translation um is those who see action in inaction and inaction in action are truly wise amongst humans. Although performing all kinds of actions, they are yogis and masters of all their actions. And Rachel, what is, you have Krishna Warriors translation. What is that translation? 
Um, his says, whoso beholds non-work and work and work in non-work is wise among men. He is integrated. He does all works. But I find, I don't know, there's something that I like about action versus work. Or maybe we could talk about that. <laughs> We're talking about it. <laughs> but the distinction between, I guess, why would why do some choose to translate it as work and others translate it as action? I mean, it means both. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, it means action and work is a kind of action. Um, and maybe I think the reason Krishna Warrior leans towards work um, is because there's something in the physics understanding of work that you can't have. Work is more than effort, right? Work is is performing some um, some um, causal action. So taking some causal action, which has results in some sort of um, effect, obviously that's what makes it a causal action. Um, and then so the relation to, to see action and inaction and inaction in action would be um, one way of taking that is to say there's a kind of non-work um, in when you're saying, well, I'm going to take this action because I think it's right. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't work out the right way, right? Sometimes shit just goes wrong. So um, when sometimes you just have to take the action without regard for the consequences. So elsewhere in the Gita, this is described <laughs> as um, nishkama karma or um, karma without karma or uh, desire. Um, but it's not, you can't, no one takes any action with completely devoid of desire. Um, so, you know, somebody who's a Jivan Mukta, someone who's an enlightened soul, like Shankara, is trying to say that, you know, you take, um, you take um, action with the intention of having good consequences, but you do so, those, those good consequences are motivated by, by your understanding of the Atman as the self of all beings and all beings in the self. And then having that right, um, that samyak darshana, that right view of um, of existence, then you you always take an action that is beneficial for the whole self, not selfish, selfishly helping yourself. Um, although yourself is part of the whole self, right? Um, so, um, so it's not necessarily a sacrificial action, but instead an action that benefits. Um, me and everyone around me um and if yeah benefiting the self versus the um psycho physical organism as what's the, who it's who does the translation again uh krishna warrior i can't remember his yeah. first name but yeah um. um so he says of course i just lost the uh and just lost the spot give me one second <laughs> Uh, oh, so he, yeah, he talks about how there's, there's the self or the Atman, and then there's the psychophysical organism. So the, what we think of as the eye or the body. Um, and so we need to act in accordance with the Atman and not this fleshy me, the, the agent or the ego that we think of. Yeah. I think one um, question that I have that kind of lingers in my mind when I think about this idea of action and inaction and inaction and action is yes we want to work or act not necessarily devoting ourselves of the results but do is it suffice to say that we never should forget why we're doing something so at least 
in my way of thinking of kind of thinking it in a justice lens like you know when you're working with students the foster kids or when you're working with students the lost sheep they're always on your mind and some of the framing some of the way you work whether in the classroom or with the students is with these particular people in mind and the needs and considering what's what's the missing link and i'm not sure if i'm maybe misreading it but are they saying that we have to devote ourselves as data of that as well so i think i'm looking at 247 right now in the gita as well um i think it's the the drive should be there so you should be performing work you know for the right reason but it's it sounds very much like Plato to me. I can't help but hear Plato <laughs> or Plato is stealing it in the, uh, the other way. But, um, but it's just removing that desire for the result or for the fruit. So like when you're teaching, you want to help, you want to help students or like I'm working with foster kids because I want to make a difference. But like in, in the reason versus, versus Brad teaching, um, for some arbitrary reason to feed his own ego or me <laughs> in foster care for some egoistic reason. So, you know, we should be doing things for the right reason, but we can't become consumed by the, so they say the fruits in the Gita, but we can't become consumed by the results or like fed up in desire. So if I'm constantly focused on seeing those results, it's going to take away from my ability to perform the action to the fullest extent that I'm able or like if Brad is constantly, especially in a classroom setting, like if you, you know, if he's constantly focused on just the lost sheep, you know, then it will take away from the rest of the, like take away from the rest of the class. So I feel like we shouldn't forget about why we're doing things. We just need to remove that desire for the result or we can't become distracted by the result. Um, I think maybe in human nature, when I took that class, however long ago that was, <laughs> um, we might have talked about something like this or it came up in discussion, but like if you are playing baseball and the ball is coming at you and you're so preoccupied with, you know, how you're going to hit the ball and how, you know, like what direction it's going to go in and like all the results afterwards, you can't possibly focus on the swing. And that's the most important part is the swing. <laughs> But if you're if you're thinking about all the other things, you're not going to be able to focus on delivering that properly. I don't know if that made any sense, but no, no, it, I mean it did to me. Um, <laughs> and I want to come back to Eric's question, and and uh, but before I do, um, one of the things sparked to memory is that um, yeah, I'm taking taking myself mentally back to that classroom. Um, you know uh where i was given that baseball analogy one of the reasons i was giving that baseball analogy which i had never really thought about before that moment um but the reason i was trying to think about it in that way was because i had a baseball player in my class uh, one of the students in the class was on the baseball team and i was ha struggling to connect the material to him mm -hmm. right i was struggling to try and get him to understand what Advaita vedanta has to do for him right? How does it relate to his life and self-understanding? So that's why I went to the baseball metaphor um, and trying to think about, um, yeah, the cultivation of that swing in letting your mind go, right? Um, so there's a certain freedom or moksha 
in that if you're always doing good actions, things that are beneficial, things that are Shreya and Preya, as the um, Kata Upanishad describes them, that um, then once you get in the habit of doing those, then there's a freedom and a liberation in that. It's like, well, I know that I'm always planting good seeds yeah. and um, you know, some of them are gonna grow and some of them aren't, but I know that I'm trying to do the best that I can to plant the most seeds and the, you know, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, a, I think that word liberation is, I mean, obviously that's, that's like my favorite word. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think it is, there's a liberating aspect to this, this ideology in the sense of I think there's a danger when you always have to constantly remind yourself of what you're fighting for or what you're working for um, and I think a big reason why we see so much apathy is because of that because people have to ask themselves well to what end is this or why am I doing this but if you can nurture yourself to the point of it becomes second nature where I ask you why do you teach you can answer or why do you work with foster kids boom and it's easy there's it's freeing because it's one less thing that you have to occupy your mind with and you can focus solely on the work that you're doing. Yeah. Maybe we can have a, a separate episode where we talk about Dharma, but I feel like we're very, we're, we're approaching that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we've got plenty to talk about here. <laughs> <that's for sure>. so, <laughs> um, um, did we want to read 247? Yeah, let's read 247, um, and then uh, we'll talk about Nishtamakamra <laughs> briefly, and then um, we'll get a little Earth Gang squeezing in here. Um, okay, let me see. Um, I thought I thought this time instead, so of from, playing, oh. instead of playing the recording, I might oh, um, yeah. chance it myself. Absolutely, um, go. Um, Karmanye vadikaraste ma palishu kadachana. Ma karma pala hetu gur, ma te sango swakarmani. Um, so, yeah, karmani eva, karmani evas adhikaras te. You only have adhikaras, which is um, qualification or, um, I think mandate, right? You know what mandate means? Like you have, you have, mandate means, I mean, mandate's a good word because like you have the, authority to do it but you also have the expectation to do it the responsibility responsibility yeah. to do it so your only mandate is to actions karmani um ma paleshu karachara never in any way do you have um authority over the fruits of those actions like you know planting seeds you don't have a say in whether or not those seeds become fruit you have a role to play right? You have to plant the seed, you have to nurture it, you have to let it grow, but COVID-19 hits or something, you know, <laughs> like, you know, shit gets real and all of a sudden then maybe those seeds don't um, come to fruition, but you only have a right to, um, to your karmas. And I feel um, like important to just add in there, you only have a right to your action and not to the fruits, but also recognizing like you do not have any control over that also. Like, do not think that you do because you don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way it's written, karmani evadi karste ma faleshu karachana. So it's like very exclusive, right? <laughs> you only have uh, um, mandate over your actions. Never in any way at all. Like, it's very <laughs> emphatic. Ma faleshu karachana. Never in any way. 
um, at any time. Um, it's overemphasis rate on the never do you have control over the fruits. But then that mm. second line, ma karma falahetu bur, ma te sango swakarmani, um, never do you have, um, never think that you are the cause of the results of your actions. My inner American is, uh, is crying right now because it's just, it's almost like, in a, in a, it's such an attack on the way that we're kind of raised here thinking where, you know, we see somebody and we say that, well, they're a good person, but they get no results and we see them as a failure. Uh, and it's, so it's just, a, it's such an interesting uh, paradigm shift to what I'm accustomed to growing up in this country. Right. No, I love that. That's that was so well said. And so thinking about that, exactly what you just said um, and how, this wants us to think about it, right? Is that um, when, when you put all of your effort, right? When you take care of your actions, when you do the right thing, when you do everything that's in your power, sometimes the fucking system is still <laughs> going to crush you, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so don't think that you are the cause of your actions because sometimes, brother, you're doing the things that you need to do <laughs> And the system's just too fucked up to like for you to get what you deserve. But then that's the point of Advaita is that there is no individual self. There is only the us, right? Mm. There is only the we. So we are in this together. There is only one self, the self of all beings and all beings in the self. And when I love my neighbor as myself, it's because my neighbor is my very self, right? And then so when I do something that benefits those around me, it benefits those around me right mm -hmm. um that's what karma means karma doesn't mean if i do good actions good things are going to come back to me that's capitalism if <laughs> karma <laughs> karma is when i do good actions those good actions have good effects in the world and that's why i should do them right i should be motivated only by the fact that they are good actions because that's what I have control over. I have control over what my actions do. And if shit's fucked up and the world is out to get me, well, that's the world's problem. And I mean that in the most sincere way possible, right? That is the <laughs> world's problem. That's our problem. We got we to gotta work on that problem together, you know? So it, um, sounds, like, it sounds like basically Westerners took eastern conception of karma and just planted an ego in it it's exactly right yeah I mean, philosophically <laughs> philosophically that's exactly right yeah so then if you plant the ego and then it's all about i do this then i get this then that's just yeah it's so we need to just based on the ego pluck that out <laughs> right. yeah there is no i there is only the self of all beings right so the only the the, I mean, you could say aham brahmasmi, but you also have to say tatvamasi. You know, I am Brahman, but you are that, right? And I am you and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, can you're I, exactly right. Can I ask you a question? Uh, why <laughs> not? No? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, do the, it, like, culturally, are all, like, are all the verses always chanted like that? Like, I just noticed that there was like a bit of like a song and a rhythm to the, or I guess that's what a chant is. Yeah. But like, is that kind of just like how it is in the culture? Are most of these texts read in sort of a chant versus just like reading the words? Yeah, no, great. So um, 
oh, this meeting will end in 10 minutes. <laughs> Upgrade now to remove it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I won't do it, but we'll have to watch. Um, we'll get cut off again. We'll start over. Life with with Corona and poverty. Um, so it's a twofer. Uh, twofer, yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah, the Gita. Um, the word Gita means song. So it's the Bhagavad oh, the, Gita, the, the Lord song, song. yeah, right. the song of the Lord, yeah, the song of God. And so, um, uh, so most of the so most of the Gita is written in this particular. Um, meter called shloka um and so it's yeah this particular pattern of um long and short vowels so um karmanyevarikara stay so all the the um i always get long and short confused but the heavy (laughs) ones right the heavy ones go down and the light ones are up um and yeah ma because that's a long A, so ma palishu kadachana. Um, so the yeah, so like long um, vowels. But so I do it in that particular pattern, but um, you know, in that particular sort of tone. Um, but there's lots of more beautiful ways to do it, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's a there's a wide variety of ways that it can be chanted. Um, Is it similar, like in the Vedas as well, or are they more just read? like versus chanted i mean so most of the um we're probably getting out of the realm of things that every all of our listeners are real quick (laughs) (laughs) um but uh but yeah there's um um so the like the samhitas are all songs they're all hymns but they have lots of different meters so many different meters um and uh and yeah um some of them are unique and some of them follow consistent patterns um, the Brahmanas, I don't think, are written in any verse at all. They're prose, um, and uh, then the, the Upanishads tend to be written in um, um, dialogue form. So, but some of the, uh, oftentimes in those dialogues, they'll have a section of poetry or something like that. Okay, so moving on. What is next yeah. on uh, <laughs> on our agenda? Since, uh, yeah. Um, if listeners want to know more, join in for our next episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so yeah, this is a this is a track that Eric brought to us, and Eric introduced me to Earth Gang um, right. a few years ago, and uh, or yeah, I don't know, remember when? A while back. And um, yeah, they are dope. And then from there, I got into <laughs> Sam Henshaw, who we'll listen to next too. Um, but uh, so yeah, here's Earth Gang. Mama told me, and at some point, I'm gonna have to stop it um or you know what maybe we'll just let it go until the timer (laughs) runs out Walking around the 
house searching for all the just to my bullshit. I'm fighting, finding how hard it is to fight the sin. Starting to find the sense when mama used to say, chat when you finish, you better light the candle for you part this bitch. I like the car, just need the spark that's out to go and get a jump from Mr. and Mrs. who always arguing, tossing up at the thought of me, mention of the offer to send from the other one like a curse or something when they both play, when they both sick, like what you got, how you get it, they'll like your ass up for this. If I can't do it, you gon' have to bet with what's gon' stop the kids. Should've known I is was here, right round every corner, we was killing time and picking sides to slumber, snuck up on us, but, 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 ain't I blessed though? <laughs> ain't I'm stressed, Lord? Yeah, 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 free all my vessels, and I'll come text though, and I'll come binds, and I'll come goals, and I'll correction those. Mama told me, mama told me, mama told me it would be like this. Mama told me, mama told me, mama told me it would be like this. Then mama told me, mama told me, mama told me it would be like this. Do you just love boots, booties, and other fall footwear? Well, Yajamana & Co. is proud to present their hottest new item, leather boots made of the finest tawny calfskin. For the low price of failing to uphold Dharma, you'll be sure to turn heads. Keep an eye out for belts and other leather accessories coming to stores near you this holiday season. So that was a little commercial that uh, some of my students a few years ago, um, or last year, I guess, um, put into some of their podcasts for class and uh I got the okay by them to uh, to share them. Um, actually, it was more of like a hell yeah, share them. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, this is actually our second time sharing them. Um, one of them, but that was, um, yeah, Tawny Cat, Tawny Calf Boot commercial, which is a reference to the Tawny Calf from another uh, Upanishad. But anyway, I thought uh, we would come back re- just briefly to this conversation about karma. And thinking, you know, we talked a lot about karma as physical actions and ethical actions, which is great, right? Um, but uh, I think also we need to think about karma as like thought patterns. You know, we get kind of ingrained in these, um, in certain thought patterns. And, um, you know, one of the ways I was thinking about it, like, uh, so, you know, I, I love to play Fortnite. I, I spend, <laughs> and like since the... Since the quarantine hit, you know, I've just been playing way too much Fortnite, <laughs> a ridiculous amount. Um, but I also kind of hit a plateau where I'm not going to get much better because I've learned to hold the controller wrong. So, you know, like you, you really should learn to hold it so that your so that's what uh, your left finger is on L1 and your and yep. you have another left finger on L2. Yep. But then it's kind of awkward to hold it. It's harder Wait, to hold what? it. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you have uh you know, there's a bunch of buttons and if you have a finger on every button then you can go way faster in building stuff. But I learned it the wrong I'm, way and now I've never done that. You never done what hold it that other I way. I always do one finger on one trigger. Am I doing it, it right? Get that carpal tunnel. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. If you do it, yeah, that way, yeah, like that. Yeah. Oh, that is weird. I don't like that. It's weird, but think about it. Then you have so much more control, right? Some people, like like my son, can hold it that way. And so, you know, then you have so much more control over all the buttons, and it's harder. You have to train your brain to do it, you know, but once you – if you learn it the right way. Or also, like, when I was, you know, in, like, middle school, I learned to type but I learned the wrong way, you know? Oh, no. So now I, I'm, you know, I can type like 50 words a minute, so I can, I can do okay, but that's definitely the cap. Like I can't type any faster because I learned the wrong way. And mm. so then learning the right way would, would entail unlearning what I've learned 
And um, I just think about that, you know, when we think about, um, you know, gender and racial stereotyping, um, like that, uh, there needs to be a large amount of unlearning um, that can happen before we can start learning, you know, because really when we talk about gender and racial stereotypes and any sort of, oh, you know, what academics like me would call essentialisms, um, where you're just sort of reducing an individual person and all their his or her complexity into some sort of essential characteristic like race or gender or ethnicity or like straight background and or, white yeah. and male. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that just entails a, sort of an unlearning of um, these things that have been constructed. They don't actually exist in the world. They're just patterns that have emerged through habits um, and cultural, you know, a lot of that's cultural, a lot of that's, um, some of it may be, you know, ingrained into our psyche to years, you know, millennia of um, evolution, but we are also living in a world that's quite different than when we were living on the plains. Um, and so maybe it's good to sort of, you know, bring some of those patterns of thought uh, and construction of race and gender into question. I agree. I think, I know, kind of using this, I, I almost feel like that in a way it's a, a definition of privilege is not having to unlearn anything. I think anytime you're in a minority group, be it, you know, myself as a Latino, I've had to unlearn so much of what my culture has taught me so that I can uh, adapt to a more, you know, a uh, white Anglo-Saxon American lifestyle. Like we're very touchy, we're very personal, very loud. And I've had to kind of change myself so I can better fit into this new system. Um, on the conversely, as a male, like I've never had to learn what it's like to be uncomfortable going into a dark space on my own or being in a college party by myself. Anytime I would walk into a college party, I had no care in the world as to how my condition was, what I look like. Um, and privilege is not having to think about those things. You're not having to worry about having to reshape yourself. Well said. <laughs> yeah, very, very well said. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, I also uh, throw a little bit of Christian theology in here, but in the <laughs> mix, thinking about um, Nicholas of Cusa's um, De Docta Ignorantia, Unlearned Ignorance. And so a lot of what he talks about is that, you know, we, um, we see the world just through colors, right? Through sense data coming in through our eyeballs, but then we construct the world um, in these particular ways that help us, you know, what he called, using what he calls artificial forms. Um, anyway, I'm probably getting way too philosophical but um but the point of it is that in order to imagine okay so let's think okay i'll make it way less con way less abstract so like sometimes i give thought to the i mean often i give thought to the fact that you know i don't know i literally do not know um and for some reason even can't uh, to some extent can't even imagine um you know what it's like to be a latina woman on the border of the United States right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what would even, what would it entail for me to imagine myself, you know, putting my in parentheses or quotation marks there thinking at, in terms of Advaita, but to imagine myself um, as a Latina woman on the southern border of the United States. Um, so there are aspects that I can imagine um, especially if she's a single parent, you know, I can imagine what that and income insecurity and 
um, there's a lot of aspects that I can imagine um, and relate to, but there's so much more that I know that I can't imagine. And then even more than that, there's more that I can't even imagine that I don't, you know, that I don't even know that I can't imagine. Um, and so knowing these things is what Kusa would call knowing my ignorance, the limitations of my um, patterned exper experience of this world. And that knowing my limitations of my knowledge um, doesn't enable me to magically know what this Latina woman on the border is thinking and feeling, right? Um, it doesn't know what it's like to actually be a Latina woman on the border. But knowing that I can't imagine her experience of the world or her experience of being Brahmin, right, um, does draw my attention to her, um, to a real living, breathing Samaritan woman or, you know, a Latina woman um, on the margins of society. And if I heed that vocational call to attend to her, to draw my attention to her in a real way, um, then I might also do what another Christian theologian calls hearing into speech, you know, hearing her into speech, um, as Nell Morton would say. Um, so I attend to her needs, her physical needs or material needs, um, but I do that by first paying attention to her reality, right? And hearing her voice and hearing her story, seeing her as, a, you know, in Christian terms, a unique image of God or Hindu terms, uh, Advaitist terms, you know, a unique manifestation of the self of all beings. And then through that attention, I cultivate, to use that seed analogy that Eric brought up earlier, um, cultivate a desire to take ethical action to attend to her needs. Um, I think you, think you, you just hit something that kind of struck me is kind of tying it back to karma. There's the recognition aspect of, okay, there's, only, there's an extent to which I can relate to this person who I am not. But not letting that stop you from taking action to, to serve or to, to justly help them. I think that's where a missing link for so many of us is we, we so desperately want to empathize, and that's a really good notion, but we don't remove the ego from it. Because I can't, because I can't put myself in your shoes or I don't know enough about you, therefore I shouldn't act. And kind of calling on that karma to be like, all right, it's not about you. You know, I may not, for example, I, I think for myself, like transgender rights, like intellectually, I, I, I understand it. I know that my first instinctual is to kind of be like, what the hell? But I have to kind of stop myself and say, it's not about me. The fact that they're suffering, the fact that there's injustice done to them should be enough for me to want to act for them, regardless of whether or not I can relate or empathize. Like I can directly explain it or understand it to myself. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. All right. On that note, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, everything we need to say. Um, so uh, today's episode of Swadharma, as always, mm -hmm. is proudly brought to you by Abby's Blue Hole Brewing. Abby's Blue Hole, deeper and wetter. Do you feel blue? Do you feel like you're in a deep abyss due to a quarantine? Abby's Blue Hole Brewing is here to help. Guaranteed to be the only thing that gets you wet this quarantine season. <laughs> Beautiful. By our wet. own special guest, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what we're actually drinking, um, I'm actually drinking uh, because, you know, Abby's, honestly, Abby's Blue Hole Brewing has um, 
10 gallons of beer sitting over there that's been sitting <laughs> over there since November and needs to go at the secondary, but I don't even know if it's still good or like how to, I've just been like been um, in, you know, escape. Well, I'm, I'm bummed. <laughs> I'm bummed to hear that because the last batch was delicious. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. I got a lot of podcasts to listen to, so I'll listen <laughs> to the podcast and I'll, um, and I'll yeah siphon the beer, and if it's any good, if it's any good, it's gonna be like, it's gonna be like eighteen percent proof, eighteen percent out. It's gonna be a high ABV, that's for sure. <laughs> if it's still good, anyway. Well, we're actually I'm actually drinking Harpoon Rec League, um. So yeah, it's lower calorie beer, a lighter lower calorie beer for your quarantine loose. <laughs> What about you, Rachel? What are you drinking? Um, I am drinking a Wachusett strawberry. Um, I had the experience today of picking up beer amidst the quarantine uh, via brewery drive-thru. So that was definitely a a first for me. (laughs) Brewery drive-thru does not sound like a... uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. It was... No, it was kind of cool. I don't know. Him. What about you, Eric? Well, for those in our audience who, uh, you know, aren't really alcohol drinkers or are trying to stay <laughs> off devices, I have some good old natural Poland spring water straight from the nectar of the gods. All you really need to get you through this season. Word. Yep. Uh, I should drink more. I should hydrate more. <laughs> um, yeah. One of my one of my podcasts, the uh, the students, um, yeah, it's this little mantra: stay hydrated. Um, <laughs> Anyway, all right, now we're going to listen to a little bit of Sam Henshaw, who is absolutely one of my favorites. Baby girl, it's my baby's world. 
one Hope I'm second to anyone Say sky's the limit But we got her here with us But it ain't too hard to touch And it ain't that deep to fall yeah, faith won't pay the bills, but doubt won't <laughs> save us all. So, um, that moves us now, uh, although it's hard not to talk about that song. There's just so much, so much good stuff in that. Um, I mean, just the gro- it's a good groove, and Sam Henshaw, I just love. Um, and then also featuring Wretch 32. And um, yeah, I, w- I just really like that line. Faith won't pay the bills, but doubt won't save us all. What do you think of that? It's classic. Um, you know, it's this idea of cheap faith where you kind of just cash in because, you know, your faith only comes out when, you know, times are tough. You know, in situations you may need to, or like, oh, like, I'm sick. Oh, let me call on the good Lord to come save me. Uh, um, <laughs> but also, like, just simply saying, like, again, that apathy piece of it as well, just simply saying, well, I don't care, or it doesn't exist, or whatever. Like, that's, I think there's a, there's a balance you can have. You don't necessarily need to be fully faithful, or, but you also don't have to necessarily dismiss it all. Um, and I, I think I kind of, that's where I find myself in my faith. It's just, there's a healthy skepticism, but I also know to call upon my faith and I believe, trust in my faith um, when, you know, in my daily life as well. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if I sent you this, uh, I think I did this um, Cornell West video on, and, you know, it's a very brief video on what he calls healthy atheism. You know, this sort of healthy yes, level of yes. doubt always, I mean, there's a, there's a deep, um, there's a deep orthodox you know christian emphasis on apophasis and epistemic humility just being you know being humble before god right and being humble about what we know and what we understand and just um yeah just being not being too proud or too yeah so there's Mm. a healthy doubt so it's not doubt in god so much as doubt in our ability to understand um, yeah. you know, oh, because we only see the world from one perspective and to the extent that we ignore our neighbors, we remain ignorant. And we, we can, the, uh, what is it? The polygon can infinitely approach the circle, but it will never be flushed with the circle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Square the sides of a polygon inscribed in a circle and it will come ever closer to the circle, but will never resolve to the circle the infinite so yeah but the more points we had to see the closest point was that the more perspectives we have the more we listen to our neighbor and see our neighbor as a unique image of god with something to tell us about the creator that only that person can tell us soon as we begin to see our neighbor that way then we're seeing more and more points on the circle um and that brings us ever closer to understanding truth but never um, but never being able to grasp it fully. So moving now to our WTF segment. Um, <laughs> not that I really want to. <laughs> we always consider just dropping it all together because sometimes it hurts to follow the news these days, which is why we call our news segment, What the Fuck, right? Um, so... <laughs> 
in our what the fuck segment today, um, you know, there was a naval commander. Um, in case you haven't seen, I think most people, you know, uh, if you haven't been avoiding the news too desperately, you've seen that um, U.S. aircraft carrier coronavirus. Sorry, was the pop-up ad? Um, <laughs> The commander of U.S. aircraft carrier Captain Brett Crozier was relieved of his duties after sending out a memo um, sounding the alarm about COVID-19. So, um, and then the um, the Navy soldiers were chanting his name and cheering him as he was being escorted out after being fired. Um, so, you know, he was basically this um, aircraft carrier captain um, was alerting um, the military about the corona outbreak on his ship and was receiving a response so he sent the memo out more broadly and then was um fired for it he said he was or wasn't receiving a response he wasn't receiving a response which is why he, um, oh. he sent it through the chain of command but he oh. also included some people who were outside of the chain of command which is why he was fired but the chain of command wasn't responding to him yeah. Some might nice. call that a self sacrifice <laughs> for the benefit of others. <laughs> All right. So um, <laughs> finally, we have our homegrown segment, a uh, very brief homegrown segment just to update you on the chickens. So I have 24 um, healthy, happy chickens. I've had them for about a month now. Um, and still have 24. So that's quite an, uh, that's quite a big deal to have start with 24 and a month later still have 24. Um, often a lot of them, uh, you know, you lose a few the first couple of days cause, um, they get pounced on and just some of them are, you know, some of them are not so strong as others, but these, uh, got 24 very healthy, strong chicks. And some of them seem to be establishing their dominance. Um, <laughs> And so they may be roosters, not sure yet, won't know for a little while. But um, they're still in the dog crate um, on my sun porch, which, believe me, does not smell pleasant. Um, uh, fortunately, I've had, I think I have had coronavirus because my sense of smell and taste went away. But now they're back. <laughs> and um, man, it's hard to walk through the sun porch. But <laughs> What do I do? Because, you know, I've lost so many. Um, Eric, did I have chickens when I was teaching your class? I must have. Yep, and you lost like five in one night, I think. Oh, man. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> lost so many over the years. <laughs> oh, yeah, it just hurts. Um, but what, what do you got to do? The fox is also Brahmin. You can't take them out. It's part of the life cycle. And, you know, I mean, also, like, I like the chicken. The chickens like to roam. They like to be free. They like to, you know, chase down their own food. And that's natural. It's good for the environment to have them there and to have them, you know, free reigning. But unfortunately, it's your really good. Your uh, comment about the fox is also Brahmin. And so the wave returns to the ocean. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Very true. And I guess the final word, I hesitate to say it, but the coronavirus is Brahmin too. Mm. On that That's note. For another episode. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of 
Swadharma. Again, I'm Bran. I'm Rachel. And I'm Eric. Thanks for... Yeah, we're significant oh, no. tunes to <laughs> Started that music a little early there. That's all right. That's all right. Whether we like it or not, best I can tell, the world's gone to hell, and we're sure gonna miss it a lot. All of the whiskey in Lynchburg, Tennessee just couldn't hit the spot. I got a hundred dollar bill, friend, to keep your pills, cause it's all the way to pot. That cackle babble head in the box, must think I'm dumb as a rock. Reading Navy news while I'm kicking off my shoes and it's scaring me out of my socks. Admitted it's stranger, I'm not, but buddy, let me tell you what. We ask old Will to say, here's the deal, friends, it's all going to pot. Well, it's all going to pot, whether we like it or not. Best I can tell, the world's gone to hell, and we're all going to miss it a lot. All the whiskey and ninja fruit. Got a hundred dollar bill, you can keep your bills, friend, it's all going to pot.